Welcome to this week's podcast from Capital Church's Young Adult Service. We hope this message encourages you, and thank you for joining us. Hey! What's up? Oh my gosh, I told Sydney, I was like, I feel like I mean, I don't really know anything about horses or horse racing. If I can get some monitor, that'd be bomb. But if not, it's okay. I feel like a horse that is waiting to get out the gate and run. Oh, thank you, Nathaniel. Um, But the gate keeps just not opening. And that's kind of how I felt tonight. So anyway, but thank you, Pastor Tracy. Do you love our pastors? Pastors Garrison and Tracy, let me tell you something. I think it speaks so well to them that they were able to rest and have a baby because the strength of their life is to build up leaders. The strength of their life is to impart into our generation. And just because they went away and had a baby doesn't mean that every day they didn't think of you. They prayed for you. They cast vision for you and for us as a community. And I want to honor them and thank them because, man, I would not be standing here. A lot of us wouldn't be here. Mary and I talk about it all the time. We're like, well, I don't know what I'd be doing if she hadn't been like, hey, little girl, let's, let's, let's get on this with Jesus. Well, literally, literally little girl for me, because sweetheart. Oh, I, she never calls me that. She called your intern class that. That was, your, that was your burden to bear. She didn't do that to me. She called him little. No, I mean, like, because I was little. You didn't call me little girl. Relax. But in the middle of where she's fighting with me while I'm trying to honor her. <laughs> But I do, I I do think that there's something so special here. The Lord has imparted something so special into Capital Young Adults. And it's a testimony to the leadership of pastors Garrison and Tracy. And they do, they lead us so well. And they listen to the Holy Spirit and they lean into what he's doing. And I honor you for that. It's just, it's the joy of my life to be a part of it. And I think Pastor Ken is here, our founding pastor. He was here. I told him he made me nervous and he said he'd go away. So I think he's actually hiding right there. I don't think he even left, but I love him. And I'm here because he decided to come and start this church and be a part of the Boise community. And I would not be who I am if it weren't for Pastors Ken and Connie's leadership. I'm so thankful. Aren't you thankful, church? We get to be in this presence-driven, prayer-led community because of the sacrifices they've made. And it is not easy. I can't even imagine what they have done for us and for the Lord in the last 38 years. I should know that quicker because it's my job to teach that at our church. But I'm Lindsay. I love you so much. Um, I do. I work here at Capital Church. I just recently transitioned out of working for Capital Young Adults. And now I work for our corporate experience. And my job is to just connect people and love on them and help service run smoothly and also teach people how they can be a part of our community. So I'm a church girl. I'm a local church girl. We know. She said, we know. I love it. Um, But let's get into the word. I actually chose to continue on Garrison last week. Pastor Garrison preached out of Revelation and it was so good. He talked about how we are overcomers because of the what? The blood of the lamb and what? The word of our testimony. So what does that mean? It means that we are overcomers because of God's story, Jesus's story and how our story plays into it. That makes us overcomers. So I thought, well, I've been thinking about Revelation a lot which is weird because I feel like it's kind of spooky. Have you read it? Have you read it? It's spooky. Okay, I grew up in this church. I've been in this church almost my whole life. And we would do the Bible reading challenge. And when we get to Revelation, I'd make my mom read it with me because I was scared. There's a dragon. 
You guys, there's there's a lake of fire. There's I didn't know what tribulation meant. There's a lot going on in there, okay? There's multiple like different characters going on that have a billion eyes and 17 wings, and I don't know what they're talking about. And if you Google what it looks like, like a artist rendition, just don't. It's spooky. Okay? <laughs> spooky season. But now that I've totally terrified you, let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Now that I'm scaring you, don't worry, I'll redeem it. Revelation chapter 3, it's the last book of the Bible. And we're going to begin in verse 14. I'll give you a second. Thank you, Thaisa, for putting it on the screen. This is what it says. I'm going to read out of my Bible. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Intense. For I say, for you say, I am rich. I've prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, ooh, pitif- pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Dang. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself with the shame of your nakedness that it may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, this is the scripture I love. I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice, I will come and opens the door. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He who has ears, let him hear. Oh, I skipped something. I shouldn't look up and down. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. I also conquered and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. Can we pray? Thank you, Lord God. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that we get to participate in your presence because of your love for us. God, we thank you for your unending love that calls us further, doesn't leave us in our sin, doesn't leave us in our circumstance, but it calls us further and higher. God, we thank you tonight that as the word is brought, God, would I just say what you want me to say. God, let my words tonight be your words. God, I pray soft hearts. God, I thank you that you're calling us deeper as a community. God, you will not be satisfied with the shallow things and the shallow end of the pool. So God, take us deeper tonight. Call us higher tonight. God, I even pray ears to receive. God, I thank you that your word always washes us. I thank you that your word would wash us tonight. And we thank you. We praise you in advance for what you are doing. God, open our ears to hear what the spirit is saying in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I talked about how it was spooky, but I'm going to redeem it right now because the revelation is actually so powerful. And Pastor Garrison gave you a little background last week, so I won't kind of haul us back through that, but I do want to say a more proper picture of the title for this this book of the Bible would be the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now in your Bible, it probably says um, the revelation to John. John was the author of this book, but this book is really good about giving us a picture of who Jesus is. And there is some direct language in what we just read where that's Jesus speaking to his church. He's directly talking to his church. And this isn't just a word for this ancient Asia Minor Church. This is a word for us. Okay? So I want you to understand kind of the context here. This is Jesus. He's laid out seven churches in Asia Minor that he's writing a letter to, and he's speaking through the author John. We believe it's John the Apostle. And he's saying, I want to tell you 
well, number one, I want to affirm you for what you're doing. I want to correct what's going on, and I want to tell you who I am. And that's what he's doing, and that's, I think that's so good for us because revelation, this apocalypse that we talk about, what it really is is it's really seeing God's heavenly perspective in the light of our temporal time and our timeline, our current events. What is God's perspective on that? And so I really believe tonight, I was reading this, and I read this in school last semester, and it tugged on my heart, and I thought, you know, let's just go for it because what is Jesus saying in this scripture? What is Jesus saying to us tonight, Capital Young Adults? He's saying that he wants to contend for our greatness. So to respond to that, we must engage in loving him greatly. And I want to talk about that tonight. Um, Laodicea, what is that? What is Laodicea? I can say it weird every time. Um, it's a church in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. And it is a wealthy church, okay? So this is the last church he's addressing. He got really harsh. Jesus was harsh. He told you, he said, you're wretched, okay? That's, a real, that's harsh. We're gonna talk about it. But what, where, who are these people? These people are wealthy. The city is wealthy. The church is wealthy. On paper, this church looks incredible. They're healthy. They're strong. The city was known for exporting textiles, specifically black wool, which was very rare at the time. They had an amazing banking system. Their banking system was top-notch. They, they handled money really well. Um, and they also had a medical school. And they had the top medical school, they think, in Asia Minor. They had exports of things that no one had ever thought of before. They had a mineral there that made an eye salve that would cure diseases. It'd probably be like Aquaphor today, but for them it was groundbreaking because it was the ancient world. <laughs> okay? For them, they were like, this is amazing. I can see. It was probably like dry eyes, you know, the drops. It was probably something along those lines, but for them, it was healing ointment. And they bragged about it. Laodicea, they got that healing ointment. You got to pass me some of that Laodicean ointment, that aquaphor. And the church said amen. But, you know, they had a lot of good external things going on, okay? And that's, that's, that's good. That's great. But Jesus is concerned here in this scripture with their relationship with him. He said, you're doing good. I mean, you know, you're, you look great. You have a lot of money. You have a beautiful building. Their church building was beautiful. They had a lot of members and attendees every week. They were doing a lot of things. They have, they were very, their presence was very loud in the city. But God is saying, what does your relationship look like with me? What, are, what is your heart posture towards me? So I want to go back to verse 15. It says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you, or some translations say vomit, you out of my mouth. Harsh, it's harsh, okay? But what's Jesus doing here? He's calling out their lukewarm heart posture towards him, okay? They, he said, you're, you're on paper, you're doing great, but spiritually, you're blind. You're proud. You don't think anything's wrong. You think that you're doing amazing, you think you're doing awesome, but you, I don't see your desperation for me. I love that we sang that tonight. I don't see you being desperate for who I am. I don't see you being fascinated by what I do and who I am. I don't see that from you. You're lukewarm in your nature. You're letting culture creep in. You're mixed in your feelings and in your mind, and you're distracted by how well you're doing. And I think that's applicable to us. When something's going really well, and I'm not just talking financially, but if something's going really well, if you're in a 
great relationship, for example, if you are doing really well at work or really well in school, or maybe spiritually your giftings are being used and the ministries that you're a part of are prospering, it is so easy to take that as God blessing you, which he does. He does. But where's your heart? Where's your heart posture? Where's our heart posture in this? We could have it all together on paper, but what is God saying to the church here? What is he saying to us right now? I want your heart. I want your attention. I want you to be on fire for me. I want you to love me like no one else can love me because it's two way, right? So lukewarmness is the opposite of our first and and primary commandment, which is to what? To love the Lord our God. It's the first thing. I mean, it's so, God is so intentional. You love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. That sounds like a love that is impossible to get distracted by. And Jesus is saying, that's not what you're doing. That's not what you're doing, church. You're distracted. You say you love me, you know who I, you say you know who I am, but where is your heart? How close, how close are we? How intimate are we? He, God is a relational God. We talked about this this morning. Pastor Chris talked about this this morning. He is so relational. He wants to commune with you. He wants to table with you. What does that word mean? It means to really be a part of interfacing. Interfacing? Why did I say that? Face-to-face with him communicating. I guess interfacing. I don't know. I really don't know what that word means. But this is the the picture he's he's painting here. You're lukewarm. I wish that you were on fire or honestly, I wish that you were freezing cold. A cold heart is actually, the Lord is saying, that's easy for me to minister to. I can, but you're not, you're neither one. And this is crazy. This got me because I'm a nerd and I'm going to throw the nerd facts in for you as we go. But the city of Laodicea did not have a water system. They actually did not produce their own water. They, you guys remember learning about aqueducts in school? Raise your hand. I feel like we all did. Okay, good. Yeah. That word, that word meant something. It was an ancient system for transporting water. The Greeks invented it, but they actually did not have their own water. So they piped in cold water from their neighbor Colossae. They were known for the cold, refreshing water, the cold represented in the ancient world, refreshment, right? You drink cold water, you feel refreshed. Okay. So Colossae was piping in cold water to them. And then Heropolis, their other neighbor on the other side, they had hot springs and they were piping in hot water for them. This is the problem. By the time it got to them, it was lukewarm. And it actually made them sick. So a lot of them would go to other cities and try to get their own water. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying here when he said, you are lukewarm. He wasn't just throwing that word around or introducing a new, new information. He's saying, this is what you're doing. You know that water that you can't even drink when it comes out of, your, out of this, not fountain, because they didn't have that, but out of this system? You can't drink it. It makes you sick. That's what you're doing for me. And I think that we automatically think, oh, Jesus is saying, I'm repulsed by you. You are vile. That's not what he's saying. A more accurate word for this, I'll spit you out of my mouth, is I'm heartsick for you. My heart is grieved for you. My heart yearns for you. And it is so burdened that you do not understand that I'm trying to get your attention. Isaiah 63 says, in all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and he carried them. He had concern that they were losing relationship with him on a personal level. Corporately, they had it together. They were meeting, they were checking the boxes, they were doing what they're supposed to do. And I'm wondering, do we do that? 
do we have these things where we check the box? Yep, I jumped up and down for three out of the four songs today. And I showed up to prayer and I said Shaba 60 times. And, you know, and I went to small group. And I went to small group and I did my thing. But where, where in the week do you remember those moments saying, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm hungry for your presence. So he keeps going. And in verse 17, he says, because you say... I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What is he saying here? He's saying you are desperately in need of me. He's not talking about their spirit, okay? He's not saying you have a wretched spirit, you have a wicked spirit. He's saying your relationship with me, you don't think that you need me. You don't have a desperation and a fascination. I love those two words. Those were big words that stood out to me in this. You don't have that for me. I'm concerned here. You don't think that you, you don't think that anything's wrong. That's the problem, church. How often we don't really, you ever, you ever, something's really wrong and you have no idea and you're the last to know, but it's directly affecting you. No, just me. I'm the only one that's ever happened to where you thought everything was awesome. You thought it was sick, but it was terrible. And it was a train wreck. It was like actually sick. Yeah, it was actually sick. One time I was super proud of this project I turned in for school in high school. I stayed up late. Oh no, if you know me, school's a big deal. I had panic attacks if I didn't get A's. I still do. It's okay, the Lord will deliver me. I need to give that up. But I had this project that I had to do for school and it was, a, it was like a poetry anthology. Millie. It was a poetry anthology. She goes, hey. And I was obsessed. I was that girl in high school that like, you're reading Twilight. I'm reading Jane Eyre. So I thought I really had it together. I thought I really knew my stuff. So I thought this project was really good. So at the very end of the, you have to compile your favorite poetry, your favorite short writings into this beautiful project. And then the very last one, you have to write a poem. And I thought it was pretty amazing. I, I was probably 15, 16. I was in honors, 10th grade English, 15. No, 14, because I skipped a grade. So I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. No, I didn't skip a grade because I was smart. I skipped a grade because I wanted to do interns, like we talked about. That's literally why I did it. I did, wasn't more smart, smarter, obviously not. I literally just did it because from age eight on, I wanted to be an intern. So anyway, I'm, in, I'm 14 and I'm in 10th grade. I do this, I do this beautiful poem. I love this poem. The teacher goes, this is literally the worst poem I've ever read in my life. <laughs> Mrs. I'll never forget, Mrs. Skialis, 10th grade English at Centennial High School. She pulled me in because I was feeling pretty high because the last project, she used mine as the example, like she turned it into an, a transparency on the overhead and showed everybody what a good paper was. On John Steinbeck, I said, but she goes, Lindsay, this is the worst creative project that I've graded in years. And she was a year away from retirement. So it's been a lot of years. She wasn't like a young 25-year-old teacher that's like, I haven't seen a lot. This isn't good. But I really thought that it was all together. I thought it was the best poem ever. I've, I don't even remember what it was about. I remember talking about eyes, like green eyes or something like that. It was so bad. I'll try to find it and I'll post it. But it was so bad. And I was the last one to know. I thought I had it all together. I thought I was fluent in this poetry. It's clearly not my gift. Clearly not my gift. But... How is that related to this? It's absolutely related to this because sometimes we're the last ones to know when we've drifted away from our relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we're the last ones to know that, you know, it doesn't excite me like it did. And I'm not talking about jumping up and down. I'm talking about, I don't find myself occupied and obsessed with the thoughts of, of God. 
of who he is, his holiness. We talked about his holiness. I talked about his holiness at camp. I'm not obsessed with that. I'm, I'm not yearning to know more about him. So this is the problem. This is the lukewarm spirit that has crept in. I think this is absolutely applicable to our culture. It is so easy to show no emotion, not even happy or sad, but to just be this in the middle, kind of, I'm not sure. I'm not gonna commit either way. I'm not gonna feel too much or too little. I'm just gonna move through it. What is that? It's mediocrity. You will never find God calling you to mediocrity. You will never find him asking you to do that. So what's the solution here? How does Jesus move us out of mediocrity? How does he call us out of that lukewarmness? Verse 16 says, I advise you. Okay, if he advises you, just do it. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to apply to your eyes that you may see. Hmm. Jesus gives three exhortations with promises that carry out a temporal, which means right now, and an eternal consequence. And he uses directly things that they, he knew that they would understand. So the first one is, buy from me gold refined by fire. He's not saying come to the bank of Jesus Christ and like return in your gold and get some Bitcoin or whatever. He's saying the glory of godly character refined by fire is gold in the kingdom of God. So you know about money, Laodicea. You know, we know about money. I know about money. But he's saying, you know what's real gold? rich, godly character, experience the richness of my glory, experience who I really am, experience everything that I have to offer you. But how do I do that? Refined in fire. Okay, God is calling us to and tenderizing our hearts by refining us. Okay, he's, he's calling us further. Okay, he's not satisfied with us having this like attitude. Eh, eh. He's calling us to exchange from me gold refined by fire. The next one is this. I counsel you to buy white garments so that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may be hidden. What did I just tell you? This city was known for black wool clothing. So I think it's so interesting that he knows this. He's Jesus. And he says, you know what's the white, the white garment? They knew, he knew that textile was their thing. He knew that they could understand that. He's saying, clothe yourself in righteousness. That your spirit, we, we pray this, the breastplate of righteousness, which we pray in the armor of God is, God, I want to walk in right standing with you. I don't want to move anywhere that you're not moving. I want to have this up, this is called an upright spirit, meaning that you are, you know that you're right with God because you can't be away from this, his cadence of his steps. That's what this is. Clothe yourselves in white garments so that you may clothe yourself. He's saying, you can be righteous because I'm righteous. The third one is anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you may see. Well, we know what that is, right? They have aquaphor. They know exactly what they're doing. But he's talking about this. He's like, let me cure your spiritual blindness. Let me give you my perspective. This is completely applicable to us. We have the perspective of the New York Times. We have the perspective of Fox News and CNN. Don't fight with me. I'm not going to pick one. We have the perspective of social media. We literally have lenses. You don't even know what's real when people post. But he's saying, cure your spiritual blindness. Don't be blind to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you what I have for you. Let me show you my perspective. The Bible says, God, your ways are higher than mine. Your perspective, that, that, that must mean in its entirety that his perspective will be higher than you could ever look. So you, what does that cause you to do? Rely on him and his perspective. He's saying, let me take away your spiritual blindness, but you have to repent. 
And this isn't Jesus just rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. You're doing terrible. No, this is Jesus contending for our greatness. This is exactly what we need. We need someone who says, no, who you really are is a person who is on fire for me, who loves me with their heart, their mind, their soul, their strength. Who you really are is clothed in righteousness, has rich character because you're accessing the character of God. Who you really are is awake and ready and open and had, having open eyes to see what the spirit is doing. This is what Jesus wants us to be. He would never just point out all the things wrong with us and then just say, figure it out. See you later. Figure it out. That sucks for you. No, he's calling us. He's calling us to get out of that hustle and bustle of being, I'm proud of myself, that girl boss thing. I think it's kind of toxic because it relies more on hustle than on the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm so obsessed with how hard I'm working. And yes, we are proud of accomplishments, but we get distracted by how good we think we're doing. We also get distracted by how bad we think we're doing if things don't go our way. So what does that mean? It means we must have this, this eternal perspective. Kathleen Fleming, who's married to Dr. Stan, he is our missions pastor and he's heading up our Capital College of Ministry. She always says, Dr. Stan will say that if they get into an argument or they don't see eye to eye, she will stop and say, Stan, in the light of eternity, does this matter right now? <laughs> How would you ever respond to that? How is, that is an automatic perspective change. In the light of eternity, in the light of, in the, light of the grandness and glory and splendor of what God has for you, does this matter? Is this worth holding on to and being more proud of than being desperate? Is this worth my distraction and my time and my energy? Is this worth it? Is this worth my head and my heart space? I don't think so. I don't think so. Verse 19 says, those whom I love, those whom I love, this is agape love, this is godly love, I rebuke and discipline. So therefore be zealous and repent. Zeal is the opposite of being lukewarm. Zeal is on fire for Jesus. And then he says, behold, I stand at this door and I knock. I love that. We, we've, we've interpreted that to mean for salvation. We've interpreted that to mean as an unbeliever, Jesus is knocking on the door. Are you going to answer? Are you going to turn the lights out? This is a letter to believers. This is a letter to us, people who would call themselves followers of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm knocking on the door of your heart and I want you to give me new and wider entry into your life. I want, you to, I want you to give me, you've given me my own little door and it's exactly my height and it's exactly my width and I can come in and I dwell with you and you believe in me, but I want a wide, vast, expanse access to who you are. I want it to be easy to talk to you about little things, big things, things that are hard, things that are easy, things that you're excited about. I want a new entry into your life. I want, I want the doors and the windows wide open. We sing that. We know, we, we know that. We know that psalm. But that means open your heart and understand that the Spirit wants to move in. And He can't force you. He can't force that. It's our decision to open that door and give that full access and say, Lord, take away the things that have pulled me from zeal and pulled me from loving you and let me see with your eyes and see your perspective. If you open the door, he says, I have plans for you. I, I have plans for you. This, there's a promise in this, in this scripture. It says, I will come in and I will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. Jesus contends for our greatness because he has promises for us.
He has promises for us. What is one of them? The one that for right now for you and me is that he will come in and dine with us. He will have that intimacy with us. The ancient world tabling meals meant everything. It meant everything for a relationship. It meant that that person had priority. They had a high stance in your life and that you wanted to be with them and eat with them. It's not like the five minute hot pocket with mom in fifth grade. It's very much, it's bigger than that. But they slap. It's good. I know. I know, Mary. It's okay. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? It means we must engage in loving him as greatly as he loves us. And the band can come up. But this is the, actually the most exciting part of the scripture for me. Um, and this is something that we literally breeze right by when we read the scripture. And it's actually the first verse. Put 14 up again and then leave it up. Okay? The amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of creation says this. Okay, Jesus has decided to invite you into aspects of his character. Okay, he rem- he's reminding the church before he gets to what they're doing wrong, for before he gets to the promises that are really good, the first thing and the most important thing that he does is reveal aspects of his character. He reveals three aspects of his character. If you want to know, this isn't just, he doesn't ever just give us a to-do list of figure it out. Here's some bullet points. Here's the order. No, he said, if you really want to, as Paul says to Timothy, fan this flame, I'm going to show you who I really am. So here's these three. The first one is the amen. He is the amen. That means the true and established one. Jesus is the amen because his promises are certain and sure. If we understand that he is the amen, we can actively believe and engage in those promises. We passively know the promises of God. We passively understand what he's promised us. We kind of think about him or we sing about him. But if we actively engaged and reminded our spirit, reminded each other of what those promises were, no, this is what his promise is because he's the final word. He's the amen. How important is the word amen? It means so be it, so be it established. But Jesus is saying, this is part of my character that I want to invite you into understanding. I am the amen. I'm not just technically right. I'm final. I'm not just technically okay. I am the final say in your life. I am the amen. The next one is the faithful and true witness. The faithful and true witness. What Jesus speaks to us is reliable. It's faithful and it's true. Culture tells lies. Culture loves to lie to us. Feelings, they love to lie to us. Experiences, they love to lie to us, but he tells the truth. So Jesus is saying, I'm the faithful and true witness, so believe my narrative. Believe what I say. He's telling, and believe him to tell the truth to you in the negatives and the positives. He goes through what they need to correct and repent and turn from, but he goes through his faithful promises to them. And guess what? Jesus doesn't have a critical spirit. It's not in his nature. So if he's, if he's telling you the truth, it means I really need you to work on this because I care about you and I'm contending for your greatness. I'm telling you this because I love you and I care for you and I want relationship with you. I am the faithful and true witness. And the last one is the beginning of the creation of God. He's the beginning, he's the source. We've taken that to mean like first thing created was Jesus and then everything else. No, he's the uncreated God. He never has experienced being created. He, he is God, okay? So he's, yes, he stepped into time for us, 
but he knows every angle of what's going on in your life. There is not a single thing hidden from him. There's not a single thing that he doesn't understand. He is the origin and the source. And I really believe that we have let other things be our source. We've let other things fill our time. And it could be good things. It could be your ministry. It could be your giftings. It could be your relationship. It could be your hobby. It could be your job or your grades or your identity. But the source of our lives, the source is Jesus. And until he satisfies you, you won't find a true source anywhere else. And so what does this mean? He's beckoning us to enjoy the aspects of his character and truly change and yank us out of that lukewarm spirit and into the things of God. Because then what happens? We get clothed with honor. We get to rule and reign with him. We get eternal fellowship with him. It's worth it. And I think I have been so convicted by this word. I've been so, I've been thinking about this since February. It's been a while. I've been thinking about how, how often do I know that things are technically true about God, but I have been, I have missed the boat on reciting, rehearsing and writing them on my heart. Why would God tell us, write them on your heart, bind them to your heart, make them known, make it plain to the people because he's asking, enjoy my character, walk away from the lukewarm spirit and this is what I give you. And I just, All I can do is stop and think, God, where are the areas of my life that I have just decided to drift along and know you, know you, but not experience and recite and engage in you? And this is the question tonight. This is the question. You know, I know you know that God is contending for your greatness, but are you engaging in loving him greatly? Are we, capital young adults, are we fully engaged and ready to love him with everything? To stop letting that one thing, that sin cycle, that bad habit, that thing that we can't get off of our mind, that anxiety, that those things are real. But when are we, when is, when is the point? Where's the threshold for us to really walk through that door and say, God, I am fully ready and fully surrendered and fully available and fully open to what you're doing in my life. And maybe we could all stand together. And the response is simple because I think this is a response for more than just a couple people in the room. This is a response for us. And I hope that you've let this word wash you and let it read you. We don't read the Bible, we let it read us. But here's the deal. He's calling us deeper. This isn't a story about having a bad, wicked spirit or, you know, whatever. This is a story about God when, is, when do I make the point where I get to decide that all that can satisfy me is you, all that can fulfill me, all that can define me, all that can motivate me, that's a big one. All that can motivate me is my love for you, is my devotion for you, is my desperation to get alone with you and to hear your voice and to listen to you and to lean and live by truly every word that you say. Psalm 107 says, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul, the hungry soul he fills with good things. He is not asking you to give up something you love to get something you kind of like. He's asking you 
to fully run towards him and decide I'm done being mixed emotions here. I'm done being the one that doesn't, isn't really totally sure of what's going on. I'm done being the one that knows but doesn't know. I'm done being a hearer only and no longer a doer. So tonight, this is our response. Is Jesus saturate and satisfy me? Call me to turn and repent from that lukewarm spirit and cause me to run after you. This is not a moment, hear me. This is not a moment where you cry and you lift your hands and then that's it and nothing changes. This is a moment where you decide to be defined by desperation for Jesus, by longing for his presence, by feeling like out of place when you're not with him and not guided by his spirit. His spirit is available to you. And the Lord told me that tonight, those of you that maybe you have been longing for the gift of the spirit is gonna get it tonight. It's a constant companion. It's a constant reassurance but he's asking us to walk away from being lukewarm and walk towards him. So if that's you, I want every head bowed in the room. And I'm gonna raise my hand for this. I'm gonna say, yep, this is me. If there's an area of your life where you have realized that you are not desperate, you are not hungry, you are not thirsty for the presence and the things of God, I just want you to raise your hand. It's me, I'm, I'm that person. But tonight, this is what we're gonna pray. And I'm gonna have you open your mouth and you do it. But you're gonna pray, God, I'm done being in the middle. I'm done being not useful. I'm done with my relationship with you feeling lukewarm. I'm ready to run towards you. I'm ready to be motivated by my desperation for you. I'm ready to not know what it feels like to be out of your presence. I believe that for us, Capital Young Adults. I believe that we would be a people who doesn't even know what it looks like to walk outside of the presence of God and the character of God and not be clothed with righteousness and know, no, this is my God's character. These are his promises. So I wanna pray for you and we're gonna worship and we're gonna say, God, we are desperate in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God, I will be desperate for you. So lift your hands. God, I thank you. I thank you that what you have for us is better than what we leave in this moment. I thank you that who you are is the yes and the amen. You are the faithful and true one. You are the origin, you are the creator, and you are the sustainer. And tonight we decide and we purpose in our hearts to be desperate for you, to long for you, to walk away from being lukewarm and have, consume us with zeal for you, for your house, for the things of God. I see people from in this, people that are in this room are gonna wake up and be so captivated and fascinated by the goodness of their God. So pray this, say, God, reveal new aspects. Jesus, reveal yourself to me. I'm desperate for you. Jesus, we love you. We, we love you, we praise you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you even right now are imparting your spirit to people who ask for it. If you're hungry for that, there's, it's, you never just arrive. He's always giving measures of his spirit. He's always pouring out his spirit. It doesn't just one and done. He's continuing to fill us. Every day he fills us. Psalm 107, you satisfy me. So right now, we're gonna sing. If you need to pray it out, which I think you do, I want you to open your mouth and you communicate with this communal God that wants to talk to you and you tell him, God, I'm desperate. If you need to come up here, come up. It's not about your neighbor doing it though. I want you to do it for you. If you need to come and, or if you need to be in your seat and kneel and you need to talk to your holy, awesome, splendorous God, you do it. But God, we are desperate for you. We long for you. We love you. Thank you for joining us today. 
To stay connected with our community, you can follow us at Capital Young Adults.